I think we Sri Lankans sometimes we have this uh, undue kind of a belief that we are not good enough. And with all due respect, even I think I was my myself and even my company or Aniranka, we felt, do we really have the chops to go and compete against the big, like in a developed markets, like whether it's US or whether it's Singapore, UK and all that. When we have this fear that we are in a small market, we are a developing country, this is like almost like clamped down on us saying that we are sometimes, are we really good enough? But I think over the last five years, one of the biggest revelations or discoveries for us is that we actually are really good enough it's just that we don't have the access to the market. Hi Rohan, thank Hi. you for joining us on the 8th episode of the Entrepreneur Vibe podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time off your busy schedule to being here with us today. Absolute pleasure, man. Um, you are known as the Google man of Sri Lanka. You wow. are the co-founder of Entire Solutions, which is a leading uh, digital agency in Sri Lanka, which serves Thank both you. Sri Lankan and the Singaporean market. Thank you. And, uh, there's so many things I can say about you, but let's just straight away get into it. And yeah. I'll ask you the first question, yeah. which is on, I was reading an article uh, yeah. that was released by Echelon magazine, yeah. and in which you had said that you were fascinated by the Matrix trilogy movies right. that came back in the 2000s, I guess. Yeah. Um, can you take us a bit through? Okay. First of all, I'm real upset that you got the years right. It was came out in 1998. So don't mess around with Matrix. <laughs> so I think I think yeah. you know. I mean, you guys have just way too much access to information and Netflix and all. At that time, you had to understand watching a movie was a massive achievement, and there weren't like a lot of English movies coming out. So my father occasionally allowed me to watch the the First Blood and the Terminator and all. There was a fascination. I was never into technology. I always pictured myself as working for maybe a government or whatever but then one of my friends who is a classic like an absolute what we would call a nerd or a freak in computers at that time which was very rare and uh, he left college at about in year grade 11 and he got the chance to go to US I mean for immediately he became like our hero I mean because going to US at that time at that age is like a massive accomplishment when he came back he suddenly called me and he, by that time he was 17 18 but he was making a lot of money because he was into a lot of programming and cyber crimes and cyber security and stuff like that at that time uh, and uh, he said Maja I got this movie you have to come and see it right I was like okay and then he said come over and then he had this massive setup and then uh, there's a two CD set uh, CD1, CD2, I don't know, the, these are romantic stuff, right? <laughs> People And he showed me the movie on his 13-inch laptop and I watched it and I was fascinated by the concept. And uh, I know a lot of people at that time, honestly, didn't really understand the Matrix 2. I have a friend who watched the CD2 first and then CD1 and he was like, what is wrong with this movie? He didn't figure out he watched the two CDs in two different ways and he said, after CD1, you have the end credits going. <laughs> And I think for me, the, the fascination about what technology could be, the fact that it could really like uh, propagate beyond what our real imagination is and do things which are completely, um, you know, kind of, it's almost like anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that really truly inspired me. And I really decided, and especially because my friend was the, like the hero at that time with all of this, you know, money and the perks and everything in life, kind of inspired me to get into technology. but. Matrix, uh, watching that Matrix and the story behind, you know, artificial intelligence growing to that level in 1998, this is what 
almost 20 years now, right? Um, I think is what really got me in, into technology and said, I really want to be in technology. Mm. Yeah, That's the, very interesting. I watched the movies too. They are fantastic. Yeah. Shout out to Neo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the fourth one is as good. Oh, this no, is the fourth one coming. This year? Right. Well, it's supposed to come this year, but I think now this next year. So, yeah, they're forward. shooting now. Let's see. So, um, one of my colleagues at Entrepreneur Wired Musa yeah. told me that uh, at a corridor conversation you had yeah. with him, yeah. you told him that you would, if you were be, if you became president, hypothetically, yeah. if you became president, uh, yeah. that you would uh, yeah. make it mandatory good. for yeah. uh, fresh graduates and those yeah. who are starting off in the corporate sector yeah. to take up a role as a salesman, yeah. at least for two years. Yeah. Um, can you please elaborate that statement? I, I think, um, I mean, this comes from the lessons I've learned in my life. I think a lot, most of us, get very comfortable very early on. I think one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest um, setbacks in your life is being complacent, being comfortable and saying, okay, I may, even now I met a guy and he was like, I don't know, I'm just going with the flow. I said, what does going with the flow mean? And you need to have at least some kind of direction or ambition. You don't have to work extra hard for it, but at least a direction of where you're going. Now, in order for you to prepare yourself, I think especially uh, what sales taught me, it's very intense sales is, I mean, not the typical sales you do, but like sales, when I say sales, is like where you divide your year into 52 weeks, you measure sales progress on a weekly basis, you set targets on a quarterly basis, and like that. It's a pretty kind of a very scientific way of approaching sales, right? Which I have not come across to be you know, that many organizations in the country in Sri Lanka practice. But I guess my experience comes from multinational companies where they look, they take the entire emotion out of it, look at sales in a very functional and scientific way. And there's no Christmas days, there's no Poya days. They just look at a week by week. And every week you have to say, this is how much I'm committing to the business. And the next week you have to come and deliver that number. If you overachieve more than what you expect, you get a negative. If you underachieve also, you get a negative. Mm -hmm. The reason is why they're saying is that a lot of people think being overachieving is great. It's not that. Overachieving means you don't know what is happening in your business. If you are really truly in control of your business, which is a difficult thing to do, don't get me wrong, you should know where your business and revenues are coming from. Right? So that kind of a accuracy, that kind of a, a discipline and commitment has to go into a sales. So that's what I mean by, by the way, just to qualify what I mean by sales. So why is it important? It's the fact that when you go become a sales guy and when you are rather very young, not many people give you the opportunity to hear what you are trying to sell and all that. It's such a difficult proposition to get time from key people to make decisions happen. And the second part of it is, you know, people lie to your face. People talk bullshit. They will say they'll do it this way, don't do it. And it's kind of impacting your own personal credibility. Now you have to go back to your organization, take back certain things based on what your customer said that you, you have now committed to them. So there's a lot of those things you kind of learn about people, relationship management, discipline, commitment, accuracy, forecasting. A lot of, I think, very key ingredients that enables you as a great entrepreneur to drive a business uh, by doing this kind of intense sales process. So that's the reason why I've said that I still stand by it. I think sales teaches you about people, process, discipline, more than um, any other role you can do at a young age. So I would definitely think everybody should do it. I think all of you guys should also do it, <laughs> for sure. Definitely should do it. Yeah. First step to have a product and you should be able to sell it. It uh, doesn't have to be a product. It could yeah. be a sales now. I think yeah. one of but your I colleagues said... As a service. Or, yeah, so one of your colleagues yeah. is doing a T-shirts or yeah. sales, right? Yeah. So what is his forecast for next month? What is his forecast for next quarter? What is his forecast for the next year? Yeah, I mean, COVID happened. That's fine. But what is your forecast? Can you commit and deliver it? 
can you commit and deliver what are you committing for next week how many units are you selling how many is your average size right who are the new how many new customers are you acquiring i think these are the answers which are very critical listen if you really look at all the global companies multinational companies whether it microsoft the cisco systems the google sap anything ultimately in these markets they only have a sales function they don't have engineering they don't have anything the only thing they are focused is sales and these sales are driven by the level of intensity and level of focus and because ultimately any business revenue solves everything if you don't have revenue is the day that you are about to die you have all the problems unnecessary questions so if you look at most of the organizations steve barmer uh, john chambers all of these ceos very well respected ultimately they are the global sales face salesman for that company they go they fly in even sunda uh, not sunda uh, who is the microsoft new ceo satya right satya he will fly into united uh, uae to close a 6 million dollar assured deal right there is a particular level the moment the sale is beyond that the ceo will come down give the assurances commitment to the country and make those sales happen look at the level of focus they have on it yes there is an engineering arm that develops the products and all that is true but sales is what drives the company lot of organizations in sri lanka today i have seen is the fact that they are very technology driven or operations driven but truly successful company are sales driven best example is companies like microsoft absolutely yeah but as much as sales is important we also need cash flows right for example it's yeah. at the b to b level yeah. we have uh, sales happening but sometimes yeah. the cash doesn't come on time so can you give some advice okay. for entrepreneurs out there on how they can manage cash flows in order to keep the business right, right. so i think there are the, i'll take that question in a two ways right if you have enough sales under normal circumstances you don't really worry about the cash flow because the reason is that if you have enough orders in hand it's a matter of how fast you can deliver it and then invoicing and getting in under normal circumstances let's assume customers pay on time your particular instance that you are talking about comes in countries like ours mm-hmm. where no customer pays on time especially to a smaller company because they always put this we are bigger like may name any company any multinational company i won't name a sri lankan company but made unilever fontera uh, all these companies they will delay payments right i mean they will never pay you on time and that's probably one of their strategies maybe that's the way their ceo for shows more higher profits because for them that is a profitability factor right so i think uh, as a smaller company you will always have to suffer through this and i Uh, i will i've been running my own company for 5 years and i with my experience i can tell you that i still haven't cracked the code i myself as a director ceo and i have put aside my ego and waited outside 20 30 minutes in outside an accountant to get a check out so these things are but what i think is that if you take as a as a country the level of productivity and efficiency we lose because people can do this is is a massive negative impact so i i think i mentioned to you if i i think we really need uh, some level of a compliance factor coming in mm. yeah. where they mandate a raised accepted invoice have to be paid within a certain time period i think that will really solve a lot of issues for a smaller companies
Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for answering that very honestly. Yeah. Appreciate it. No worries. Uh, let's move on to a phase of your life where you were yeah. elected as the first representative of Google. Oh, wow. And you're very commonly known in yeah. Sri Lanka as the Google man. Yeah, something uh, I'm trying to shake off for, a, <laughs> for some time now. Yeah. Can you take us to the story? Did Google approach you or was it vice versa? No. Take us to the whole <laughs> Not <story>? at all. <laughs> Let me provide this context. I think like at that time, the I, I mean, these statistics can be a little different. But what I hear is that uh, Google usually get about three to four million applications a year for about 2,000 jobs they have, right? Because the jobs aren't growing as a level. And uh, I'll tell you this very weird story, and this is also the day, the day I stopped mentioning about my educational qualifications to anyone. Um, I met my boss who is 10 years younger than me at that time, right? Uh, obviously, he still is, right? But uh, I was, would I have been 36, he would have been 26, right? He's my boss, a British guy. And uh, I wanted to tell him that I'm qualified. I'm you know, I have some chops and I've come here with whatever, whatever, this thing, right? I'll answer your question, but this is a nice story. And then uh, he came in like like this in shorts and t-shirt and slippers and walk around and I, yay, Rohan, you know, uh, with this British accent, which I understood, I never really understood anyway. Um, so essentially, um, three months later, someone woke up to me and said, do you know about that guy? I said, uh, yeah, my boss, right? Uh, and then uh, he said, you know that he has masters in mathematics from Cambridge. <laughs> I was like, shit. <laughs> and here I am trying to brag about a qualification in a small country, which is probably 3,000th world university, right? And uh, you realize that these are companies have so much of demand and can attract so much of amazing talent. You really have to be in the top notchery. Now, having said that, I think my case is greatly uh, like being at the right place at the right time. I was working in Singapore. I have just got fired. I've lost my job and I didn't know what to do with my life. And then I was uh, looking for a job and I was, uh, I applied, I saw this advertisement on LinkedIn and uh, uh, everybody who's looking at this, follow me on LinkedIn as yeah. well as make sure your LinkedIn profiles are super updated because I really believe in LinkedIn, right? Um, so I think um, I saw this ad in LinkedIn and uh, I applied for it. Usually, the these all these multi this is not special for Google and all the multinational companies you ever join, especially even Cisco's and all that. They have a process where usually you have about between seven to ten uh, job interviews. All seven of them have to say yes. Then followed by a three-month-long like a background verification. Whether they call up the places where you said you have a. Uh, you know, you said you have a degree, they call up that university and say, you know, Rohan has stated there has a degree, is that really true? They call up the police uh, division and ask whether he has a criminal record. So there's a huge kind of a, this thing. Why is that important? The importance is once you are taken into the company, they don't question your integrity. Okay. Right? Because you want to make sure the guy we are hiring to lead a business or a, like, some kind of area, you can trust. So integrity is what drives trust, right? So essentially, that is why that process is so thorough. Because after you trust, after I joined, um, so I had seven interviews. Um, and one of the interesting things about Google is the fact that all seven people are people whom I have to work with on a daily basis. They just validate whether this is a guy I can work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so French to a Canadian to an American to a British to a, you know, all those kind of people. And then uh, I got the job. I was very privileged and uh, fortunate. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, when I started and said, okay, uh, what can we do for Sri Lanka? I remember my boss, James, uh, coming over and saying, tell your story. I mean, write your story. And 
tell what you want to do in Sri Lanka. So I try to do as many things as possible uh, for two reasons, because it's easier, okay, let's prioritize India and wait till Sri Lanka gets a turn. But if you go and fight and push for it as much as possible, um, you can get it. So we were very fortunate. I was very fortunate. I was part of the street view launching team. I was part of the doodle that was created. I was part of uh, you know Google Maps and so many different things. So my intention was to bring all of that stuff into the country as soon as possible, because I really believe that the country will benefit from it. And uh, time will tell whether I did a good job or a bad job. But uh, I mean, in the process, I got this tagline. But I don't want to be called that, to be very honest with you now. Because the reason is someone else should come and do that. I mean, I did my job and I passed on. Uh, I, I would like to think that I passed the baton on and uh, someone else should drive it, you know. Thank you for the street view, Rohan. We find it very useful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you a nice story. By the way, I can tell you this story. Uh, is the fact that the person who approved it is currently the president of Sri Lanka. Oh, really? I met him. I met him uh, for to obtain that approval, and I can tell you some interesting story about that. But probably that's for another video. But he's the one who approved the street view. So thank you for that as well. So you're talking about uh, doing a job in Singapore. You work yeah. both in Sri Lanka and Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. But you were not the type to obey rules. You always rebel. Yeah. You've always uh, you switched multiple yeah. jobs, which is yeah. against the norm, against the status quo. Yeah. Um, but however, we are told from young days in Sri yeah. Lanka not yeah. to do that. Instead, to focus on one role, yeah. and build a career. Yeah. Can you please tell us your thoughts on 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 this? Okay. To whether someone needs to work in one role or an yeah. industry to be successful. Yeah. So there are two reasons for it. The first reason is that I, I, I came from a very uh, pretty average, below average kind of family. And uh, my father, after I passed all levels, he said like, okay, you can get a job. I don't really need to worry too much about it. My mom, uh, I mean, with, I mean, she's amazing. I love both of them so much. But the situation is that she thought that working in a government bank like People's Bank is the best thing that I could do, right? So that kind of ended there. Then ultimately, I ended up in the university, all of that. And then my mother was like, I think you're more educated than all of us. You, you figure this shit out, <laughs> right? Kind of this. So nobody was really there to tell me, like, you have to do a job and all that. That was a common norm. I also got it from a lot of my colleagues. The second thing that happened to me was my... Uh, very first proper job, right? Uh, I was uh, one year into that and my division was, I was at IBM, my division got sold off to Lenovo. And uh, in Sri Lanka, we had three people. I was the team lead, more or less, and the other two were there. And uh, Lenovo decided to shut the Sri Lanka operation down. And at that moment, I got a call from someone in Singapore and said, we are shutting the operation, let the other two go. And I was very young, I was like 24, 25, and it sucked to let people go, right? And to this date, there's a huge scar about having that conversation about telling people, listen, we have to let you go, right? And you're talking about almost 20 years now. And uh, for me, subsequent to that, I also heard from someone said, love what you do, don't love the company, right? So I believe in that so much. I will only stay because I love what I do. For me, the jobs I do, the companies I work for mattered very little, right? Even Google, a lot of people don't believe this to this day. In one of the interviews was held by uh, Lorraine, who was at that time the Google Singapore country head. He asked me, why do you want to join Google? I said, I never wanted to do that, join Google. He was a little bit stunned, <laughs> right? It's the interview job question. <laughs>
probably not a good idea by the way folks right um, and he asked me uh, why do you say that because i don't think anyone ever told me that he said no i think when i look at the job description it's an amazing job description where you go to a country like i get a chance to go back to my country and do this amazing stuff and it's such a bonus that google is a such a known brand but even if it's a abc brand that no one has heard of i still want to do this job because this job scope and everything is allows me to really go out there and put my little spin on it and drive a business because that's what fascinates me and excites me so for me i always followed that now i'm not saying that staying in one company and all of that is great but i have always said like either i always always try to re innovate myself uh, every so I was in the PC era, I was with IBM. With the networking era, I was with Cisco. With the digital marketing era, I was at Google, right? And then uh, I was still in the digital marketing. But I think you will see that we, I also will evolve to do something very interesting in the next era, which I'm planning of a kind of a moving to over the next couple of years. Now I'm obviously I can give you a hint. I'm very interested about things like big data and AI space. So for me, I think that is the next evolution. uh in the in the career so you have to always constantly evolving yourself and moving uh when you do things like that so answer your question um some people works uh in the same company i think they become comfortable i for me one way of getting uncomfortable is always pushing myself i mean don't get me wrong just for the successes i had i also have had lot of misses i mean i have got fired i have had shitty bosses which i had forced me to leave a company in one year and it's always not so much fun but i think ultimately you have to start believing that you have the you have the chops to pull it off right and you have to have to self believe and you also have to have this thing where you know i want to do something that really have a sense of fulfillment for you because when you have that i think you can you will do amazingly well in whatever you do whether you make hot dogs whether you sweep the floor or whether you you are running a country if you passionately believe in that if there's a fulfillment with that job i think that is what will make people success not the money not the designation nobody gives a shit about that rohan you are the co-founder of entire solutions which yes. is a award winning agency uh, which operates in the the digital marketing and tech yeah. space and you yeah. operate both in sri lankan and singaporean market yeah um, could you please take us to the story as to how entire came about to be right. uh, and also what is the vision that you have for the brand right so i think one of the <laughs> the my co-founder uh, niranka will definitely disagree with this uh, my story because both of us haven't been agreed on what this is the story of true story <laughs> of the how this company became okay. um, so i'll tell you my story uh, i always say that when we are really super successful we'll tell an amazing story like we both were in greece trying to understand the sound of a whisper <laughs> and then we came up with this amazing so we'll tell a story then until such time so what happened was i was uh, moving out of google and i think what i realized was the fact that digital marketing was opening up a lot of agencies in the market were not really clutching on to it because they were quite comfortable doing what they were doing they were latching on but they were taking time but the, the if you look at the market in the country especially hospitality industry were really craving for a lot of uh, digital marketing part because that the cost of acquisition uh, really propagating the brand messaging all of that were much more effective and much more um, much more easier in ways on digital but they weren't really been addressed properly and the cost structures of traditional agencies were just doesn't make any made any sense at that time 
So there was a window of opportunity for us. Um, I was I have decided to move out of Google, and I have re realized the fact that you know a lot of times the digital marketing was served by multiple organizations, the same customer. Like a web was done by someone else, social media was done by someone, someone else was doing something else. Customers say, okay, I spent money. What the hell happened? Uh, everybody's like, oh, no, it was someone else, and you know, there was a lot of confusion in the market. So the idea behind the the imagine initial the very first of course antara has evolved over the last 5 years what our initial impression about uh, building this uh, company was let us own the digital as a channel for you and be accountable for it now in order for us to be accountable we have to have a creative talent we have to have technology talent we have to have digital marketing brand that kind of a talent in house so the entire philosophy is that we will come to you we will make a proposition for you about building your brand driving sales driving conversions whatever you want to do on digital and give us the financial access to or the marketing budget for it and we will do that so that was the initial promise for it and at that time social media was very very early stages we were still talking about how many posts you are going to make per month and you know all of that type of thing and we very intern brand man assistant brand managers telling us that the blue is not speaking to me the star is not big enough and <laughs> you know and you know type of things all these interesting things happen for us but i think uh, that was the premise wait and i met niranka and uh, we are actually truly like the opposites of the same coin i think i bring in a lot of this sales and marketing and relationship type of a capability niranka is a is an absolute genius in in technology and capability in terms of you know really seeing analytical and all that kind of thing and i think it was the the two of us who combined and uh, started it he was with uh, dialog he was uh, i think a senior manager there i was exiting google and we kind of started working together initially and uh, uh you know i think we started it's a brick by brick bootstrap whatever you want to call it it was a very in his hokandar uh, house bedroom we started off and uh, it was initially him and me then we got another guy we convinced him somehow to join us he is now our chief operating officer navin um so we started off like that and along the way we begged our friends to join uh, there were people who joined from large organization taking 30 40000 pay cuts um to build this dream with us and along the way we have evolved and we got better and today we are very proud to be where we are and i think globally a lot of people don't know this globally except one award we have won almost all the awards uh, for web design we are probably the only agency who have that all those awards in our i think we do a absolute shitty job with marketing it <laughs> right but uh, uh, i think we are very proud of that accomplishment um but uh, i think uh, we were we never believed in awards to be very honest with you the reason why we wanted to get into awards is that if you look at the old school advertising it was built around awards like all these big uh, six company in the world everything is built around they won that lion this what that awards type of thing we didn't believe in it but it came to a point where customers questioned us why are you not having awards that is the entire reason why i kind of got into awards we i personally still don't believe in awards because it's a very subjective area and uh, someone's subjective recognition is should not what matter what matters is how much of revenue we generated for you as a as a business so antara started like that the name is something very um, again me and niranka debate about it it's a greek name so it came out of uh, antikythera mechanism mm -hmm. antikythera mechanism is a is a device that is found by about which is about 3000 years old uh, it predicts the solar 
movements or planetary system very accurately. How this technology was available 3000 years ago, who built it still remains as a mystery. And I think we kind of uh, adopted that name Antikythera mechanism to and called it Antira. Uh, so that particular discovery, initially we carried the logo with that kind of a wheels, etc. It's a fascinating story, it's on Wikipedia if you want to look it up. Um, and I think uh, today we are like about 40 plus team um, and we have offices in Sri Lanka and Singapore uh, serve a larger customer portfolio uh, in other countries as well. So very proud of the journey uh, we have taken and our team has done, I probably do less, little less, but I think the team has done an amazing job. I think startup founders have a general yeah. problem in coming, especially when there are co-founders yeah. coming into agreement to a common name. So I yeah. think they need to hit you up to come up with the mind-boggling, mind-boggling yeah. rather yeah. ideas on coming up with yeah. names. <laughs> so I think, I think, I think for me, I am a strong, strong believer that names don't make businesses. Businesses make the name. I heard uh, that somewhere, yeah. yeah, I because, think he heard it from you. And uh, okay, yeah. because because I, I I think you know it's all about your success, right? I mean, Google is today is such a big name just because it's a success. If it was a failure, people would start blaming them for having a shitty name, right? Uh, I think uh, for us also, it's the same thing. I think uh, once you're successful, people kind of like to attach and give all this amazing stuff around it. But if you're a failure, people are same breath will disregard you. So you have to be not so concerned about that. But I think the only concern for us is, can we get a .com domain? <laughs> right? Our concerns are, so that's the reason why Antara solutions came, because Antara was already taken. Um, so Antara so we, can we have a dot? And can people say it and not laugh at us? Mm. Those are like the basic consideration we had. Uh, even now, my founder, my co-founder, and I say the name differently. He goes light on the T, I uh, or he goes heavy on the T, and oh. I go light on. The, I say Antaira, he say Antaira. So oh. you know we have all of this stuff. Listen. Right. Right. When you are successful, we'll figure this out. We'll hire an agency and we'll do. We'll, we'll get all of the, all of this stuff done. But I think, I think, as I said, I mean, those are not the what matters. I think what matters is, is your business uh, equipped to um, service a customer base? Do can you create enough value where people want to invite you and ask, hear what you have to say? Um, do you run your company well and all that? And I'm, I'm not saying by any means of uh, any stretch of imagination we got everything figured out. We are on the way. I mean, we've been here for five years. Uh, East attack was horrible because uh, you know we were heavily dependent on the hospitality industry. Uh, badly hit, of course. Then COVID came and badly hit. And I think we are still here. So I think that's a testament for the resilience of the business. I think we would love to grow and scale all of that. Uh, but uh, for a company who's more or less bootstrapped out of uh, a under a bedroom, I think <laughs> it's a it's a good testament for what we we've been able to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you all serve both the Sri Lankan and the Singaporean market. Yeah. Can you take us through the story of venturing out into Singapore as a business and right. what is it like operating in that uh, in that market? Right. So I think I think um, uh, let me if I just add here we would like to consider that we serve global markets. Mm -hmm. The reason why we ventured out to Singapore is that we felt that it has a hum so you know for the long I think we Sri Lankan sometimes we have this uh, undue kind of a belief that we are not good enough. And with all due respect, even I think I was, I myself and even my company, Aniranka, we felt, do we really have the chops to go and compete against the big 
like in a developed markets like whether it's us or whether it's singapore uk and all that when we have this fear that we are in a small market we are a developing country this is like almost like clamped down on us saying that we are sometimes are we really good enough but i think over the last five years one of the biggest revelations or discoveries for us is that we actually are really good enough it's just that we don't have the access to the market. We just don't know enough people to build because our business is a services business. And so for you to be successful in a services business, you have to have relationships to get business. And we didn't have that. And that's one of the biggest challenges for us to venture out. But we did a couple of work with multiple uh, countries over the last three years and they really were very impressed with our capability and that gave us the kind of a boost or the confidence to say that we got the chops to be successful there. So when we looked at the portfolio of the countries we wanted to go into, we looked at countries in the Southeast Asia. And of course, it's a lot more easier to say we are a Singapore company than saying we are a Sri Lankan company. And I'm not saying that, oh, you shouldn't be proud of Sri Lankan, none of that shit. I'm, as I said, I'm not here to change the world. I'm just here to be successful in the business that I am to run. So it made sense for us to set up an office in Singapore and to say that we are a Singapore entity having whatever offices in Sri Lanka and the development and the delivery arm in Sri Lanka and to be able to get that because there was a lot more reception for us to be uh, for us to get business being a Singapore entity that was the thought process there and we also tried Singapore business we had a representative based out of Singapore for one year we haven't had enough traction for one year and then we kind of decided to pause that for a while uh, but today I think being recognized as a company that is based out of Singapore um, has a lot of value for us and we are more and more building our capability there. It will continue to be a sales and development, business development kind of arm, but I think that's going to be a major push for us. We might have an office in US as well. I think Rohan, um, yeah. one problem that startup founders face in general yeah. is um, how to price the services. Okay. Yeah. Um, some either price overpriced or underpriced yeah. depending on their level of knowledge right. uh, can you maybe uh, like give some advice for startup founders yeah. on how they can come up with a proper pricing mechanism okay fantastic so I think the, the, usually you come across two different things um, you can't apply the same rules obviously like for example if you're a product company uh, now I was looking at um, a different particular thing in my head and I was debating with a friend of mine they were they were doing a product and uh, it gives a some kind of automation service uh, for a for a, for office employees, but if you look at look at their entire thing per month, it will cost about hundred thousand. So I asked him, Lucien, you are asking someone to pay hundred thousand, but you can hire a person for sixty thousand and get the same work done. If that's the case, you are obviously you know nobody's going to buy your product uh, because in Sri Lanka people prefer to have manual than digital because as I think what we discussed earlier, our sensors about time and efficiency and accuracy is little, haven't really matured to the point where we, we, we are willing to pay the price for those things, right? So I think in, when it comes to producting, there are a couple of ways that you can really look at it. Like I personally, my favorite thing is the follow the market pricing, not cost-based pricing, right? You can't do pricing, but you are rather that you follow the market pricing where you actually get, and then you drive for customer acquisitions, until you be able to cover your overheads. That's in the product wide. Services wise, here's what I think, uh, what I do. For us, we actually believe that we have a superior product. My pricing strategy had always been, I will always price myself 30%, 50% above market norm, right? The reason why it is important, and this is something I can recommend for services business for anyone, is the fact that when you anchor high, 
your ability to negotiate down is much more with the customer and customers will always negotiate you down right you and, and it also establishes yourself as a premium product or a services company and it's easier rather that you are a premium company and you offer a this special discount and get the business rather than you go at an entry point yeah. price point and try to say we provide a premium service which nobody's going to believe you and uh, but here's the thing you you pricing is a is a reflection of your organization's core strength and values there's no point you positioning yourself premium even after discount if you can't deliver at a premium level so that needs to be in order but it's really about asking yourself what does the market demand especially at the very early beginning early days once you've grown to a level you have the capacity to ne negotiate and demand a lot more from my advice is that you always have to follow the market and say that this is the market pricing right now get the customer acquisition that's where our sales conversation become really really important get the sales in revenue starts coming in establish your cost structures after that the rest of it becomes a lot more easier rohan do you mm -hmm. think uh, a startup yeah. necessarily needs to disrupt an industry in order to be successful i don't think so at all i think a lot of people have this massive obsession because we have seen these shooting stars i call them shooting stars like the facebooks the ubers of the world and all of us want to have come up with this paradigm shifting universe denting kind of an idea that disrupts everything i don't think that is necessary essential or a must uh, for any kind of industry to start a business the, the business have to i always say the business have to come up with a big enough problem for a big enough audience and that is what you really need to be searching for what i mean by big enough problem is is the problem painful enough for my customer where he is willing to change his habits pull out his wallet give his money to me than over to someone else that's the first thing when i say big enough problem second one is big enough audience is that there has to be enough people that i can scale this business so there could be thousands and obviously hopefully even millions of people having the same problem so that i can talk go and talk to these millions of people and start developing you know getting business out of them you don't have to come up with a new product idea all the time you can have a existing product or a service idea but that you just believe you can do better if you take antara solutions we didn't come up with this you know paradigm shifting or chattering kind of an idea it just the agency business exceeded a lot they were slow and they were overpricing themselves in the digital space there was a huge gap customers were demanding for some kind of a clarity accountability in that space that's a big enough problem we saw and we realized that digital marketing is going to explode obviously with the internet and the smartphones and also there is scalability obviously there so we are obviously not going to be the only one there will be always be so many other players who will benefit from it and we as antara solution position ourselves sorry excuse me uh, that's just my alarm yeah. to for top of the hour. um just to make sure that we have the capacity to be able to service that so i think often times people think that they have to come up with a unique idea i think that's a very false direction mm -hmm. if you are a person if you are seeing that okay there is a something that is been happening i can do that better i can do it more cost effectively i can do this more efficiently i can do it with a customer intimacy or experience can be enhanced a lot more that itself can be a big enough idea for you to drive a business speaking further about yeah. disruptions now digitization yeah. and artificial intelligence are completely yeah. changing the landscape of the business yeah. uh, if, of industries in general yeah. can you as a, as an expert in that area can you please yeah. take us through yeah. what the um, world is going to look like in the next couple of years i think i think uh, 
I think so. It's gonna take over like in the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I I I am a I'm a huge fan of uh, AI, obviously, and I'm st been studying it for the last. Uh, but before I get into AI. So I think if you look at uh, if I it's look at an onion ring type of thing where at the very core of it you have the algorithms on top of that you have what we call deep learning then top of that you have the machine learning then you have the AI so that's how you become so AI is like this large huge thing which exists in very small areas today and oftentimes this is fascinated and fantasized by movies we watch and stuff like that and it's great to have the vision don't get me wrong I think it's that so if you look at uh, artificial intelligence I think there are a lot of segments for it the stuff that you are talking we are talking about machines coming and killing us personally is <laughs> about not going to be a couple of years I think it's about maybe never happen maybe about 100 years out right and today we have something called artificial narrow intelligence and I think uh, for that is more like you tell uh, uh, this thing drive this car from A to B type of thing with all these sensors and knowledge that is there and all of that so I think um, that is where it is today but before we get into AI space, if you take the machine learning and deep learning or algorithm space, that is algorithm space is what is really the boom is happening today. And algorithms are everywhere in terms of being able to search ranking, Instagram messages, uh, even Amazon ranking uh, in NHS in terms of kidney transplant, patients matching in, uh, in uh, China, matching students to universities in Sweden, matching babies with um, you know daycare centers. I think algorithms are going to be everywhere on it, uh, everywhere in our lives and we'll have to get used to it. Then on top of algorithms, there's something very important that has to come, something called data. So data problem is that today there is not enough clean data to run meaningful algorithms on it. We have these platforms like Azure and all that, but the data problem is still there. A lot of organizations in Sri Lanka will take an extended time period to really harness that, in my personal opinion, because their data is not yet clean. And to be clean data, two, three years at least, I personally think with a very stringent process and practice by employees that need to come in because you have to create all this data. That is from the time then all this, some of the stuff that you and I are talking about will at least start becoming, even being able to predict what kind of ice cream I should stock, you know, before, for the Christmas season over the last three years of patterns and all that. I think this takes a bit more time. I think it's always nice to think about this stuff, but I think it, the reality takes a lot longer. Uh, then it's like, you know, in 2000 people said this e-commerce and dot-com will burn, but the reality of it happened like maybe like about five, ten years ago. Um, so I think it takes a lot more longer time than that. Uh, I'm really excited. I think uh, there are four industrial revolutions. We talk about the steam engine, we talk about the conveyor belt, and then we talk about computational. I think the next really the big deal is the big data analytics and that space. And I think uh, once it happens, um, I think the world will look so different. I have no idea, but I hope I'll be around and I'll adapt and build an amazing business on top of it. So that's the plan. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so speaking about businesses in general, yeah. now you uh, not only have your own startup, yeah. but you also help other startups yeah. uh, find their feet and yeah. have consulted them and yeah. help them you know, yeah. expand. Um, speaking about the Sri Lankan startup yeah. ecosystem, yeah. can you tell us where it is right now and where it is headed? 
Do yeah. you see any um, promising Sri Lankan, uni Sri Lankan born unicorn businesses out there? Okay, so before I talk about maybe unicorns, I, what I would think is that I was very privileged that a lot of people have invited me to be in the judging panel and all that type of thing, startups and, you know, hackathons and all that kind of, but we had this amazing era about two, three years ago where every weekend was a hackathon, every weekend was a startup, every big company was getting into incubators and starting business and all that. But today the realities have set in and it's not so much. Right, um, and I think uh, the market corrects itself. There was a huge amount of money available. A lot of people invested a lot of money in a lot of startups without even really understanding what it can really solve. As I said, a big enough problem to a big enough audience, and a lot of people have lost money. There are few companies who are still there and surviving and thriving and doing well. Um, I think. Landscape is correcting itself. Uh, I think the startup is landscape is also truly going through that. Only the real players with a real value proposition are today being able to secure funding and support from investors. But the other players will find it struggle. So, um, as a startup, unless you have really amazing kind of a belief and a um, kind of idea that solves a big enough problem to a big enough audience, I don't think it'll be an easy proposition to start a business today. Not for anything, just for the capital raising part of it. Second part about unicorns. Um, I don't believe I have come across a unicorn. I truly believe a unicorn. Uh, I tell you a very funny story. I was in a judging panel, I'm not going to tell you who. Um, and I told, uh, there were three, four people. I think when we are on judging panels, uh, what I've seen is that People are nice to people, we don't really tell the truth, right? And unfortunately, I'm not a nice person. So I told that person, listen, I don't think your idea will work. And this person came after the uh, this thing and said, no, I'll prove you wrong. I said, I'm so glad if you prove me wrong. Because I would like to say that I was wrong and you had an amazing business. And this guy went on to win some international awards, all of that. Two years later, he's now working for another software company as a software developer. The dream is dead. I think it's really important that we as people with experience give the very sincere, honest feedback to startups, not with the intention of tearing down their dream or the vision, but really giving them a reality check as to where they need to really, you know, strap up and really get better at. And without just because the idea is cool, that the assumption that you can build a business is false. That is just not true. And that's not just not going to happen. So you talk about you know you giving advice and mentorship to uh, yeah. start startup founders, yeah. but sometimes they end up taking that personally, yeah. like a personal attack, as opposed to look at yeah. looking at it objectively. Isn't, isn't yeah. that right? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things is that by nature we tend to be because we are socially connected people in this country and we know everyone. All that we probably have gone to school together, or where my wife is a best friend of their wives, or our children go to the same uh, this thing. And all. we are very small community. We are not even a big city. We are like a town type of thing. Right. So as a result, I think we are very sensitive and very um, sensitive towards people's feedback and what they think of us and all that. Um, so I think it's really, really important to build a level of resilience towards you. I think what you need to think about is that if someone gives you criticism, you have to use your own brain and ask yourself, is this something I need to pay attention to and fix or correct or should I just let it go? Yeah. Right. I think that takes a, I mean, for me, being probably to double your age, it's a lot easier to say and apply in my life. But I understand that when I was 20s or 30s, it's a lot more harder to take criticism. And I think I always say this, and I, I, I don't practice it 100%. I, I, and that's a, some, obviously something maybe 2021 I need to fix. Is that I always say, you can only criticize something 
to which you have a better answer or a better solution. Just for the sake of criticizing, everybody can do, anybody can do, right? But that's not the point. The priority's criticism has to be backed by, listen, I think you, these are stuff that are false with you. Here's my suggestion of making it better has to be followed. Just saying that you are shit and you are bad isn't alone is cutting. I think if someone is giving you criticism just like that saying you are bad, you should just leave it. But if they come and say, hey, listen, I think your idea will not work because of A, B, C, D, E, F, J reasons. That is when you have to pay attention and address A, B, C, D as more logically as much as possible. I myself is a very, I consider myself an emotional guy. I'm very passionate about things I do. So I also get very affected when people criticize because nobody wants to hear it. I think we are all human ultimately. But I think somewhere down the line, we have to kind of separate that out and ask, Okay, there is this, what can I learn from it? Or do I really believe in this so that I can really still pursue it? Because if that person have given me a meaningful something, I can action. Otherwise, criticism for the criticism's sake is just, just words, right? It doesn't make anything. It doesn't do anything for you. Um, and now from a government or yeah. a regulatory point of view, yeah. uh, what needs to be done to further accelerate uh, you know, entrepreneurship or startups and in business in general in this country? So here's the thing, right? I think I, as I, I think we spoke about this just before we started this chat. I think I'm a firm believer that being an entrepreneur means you see the world as it is. You accept the world as it is, and you also understand what is your role is. Your role isn't about you know changing the world, but adapting and understanding in this world what is that impact I can make from, from my business and how can I make that business a successful. And success gets defined by different ways. Success defines by recognition, success gets defined by financial statements, success gets defined by uh, how many people work for you, all those different things. So whatever the way you define your success, it is up to you to accept the world for what it is and say that how can I still make it work. I don't personally believe accepting that the government will change their ways and support you uh, is, is, is something that good entrepreneurs will ever worry about. If that's the case, you need to stop thinking about building a business. First, you need to get elected and change the law or do something like that, right? Because I think that's just, just not accurate. And the rest of it, I think, is that from, from really understanding people who genuinely want to help you, I think one of the things I really like about Sri Lanka as a whole is that like, I think people genuinely want to help others. Um, maybe giving money is not, but there are enough people who would like to make a connection uh, or help people. And maybe really leveraging that. Uh, we It doesn't have to be like that, but I think in Sri Lanka it is like that. Like today, for example, if like you guys asked me to come and I came and I'm doing this, right? And I think I'm sure there are so many people who are willing to do that for you. And uh, what am I getting out of it? Probably nothing, but I'm sure that that they like that there are things that that you really will value that you can get out of people. I think getting that kind of a help is really important. If you need money, obviously, I personally think you have to be convinced that you know I I teach at CIM. When I ask a class of 25, 30 people, how many of you want to be entrepreneurs? 80% of them want to be entrepreneurs, want to start their own business and be successful. How many of you are willing to? drop off from CIM, really pursue this dream, two people. Sadly, the 70, 80% have disappeared to two people, right? That means they are not convinced about the dream that they are trying to sell to others. I am saying, 
if you really want to get even funding or whatever, you have to be convinced that this is a dream that will work and I can make it work. If not, don't do it. And I also want to say one thing, this assumption that you can be an entrepreneur when you are young and you have to be, I think that's all rubbish. I think some of the great entrepreneurs, age is not. I personally think sometimes having an experience matters. So having understanding about how big organization structure, process, systems work matters. And when you are older, your network can also be that much larger. That also matters because especially in this country, a lot of business gets done through relationships and less by logic. So you have to now accept that and be able to understand and play with that. So these are some of the things I think young people have to be aware of. Just because you are 19 and you have a cool idea thinking that you are going to be the next big thing, I think it's just a pure luck and a chance thing, not a logical progression. I don't believe in that. Yeah. And also, could you maybe just take us through yeah. uh, like the, the challenges that or rather on a personal level, on a personal yeah. life level, of yeah. how you have to balance between There's no balance. life and... Because <laughs> that's the thing, right? Everybody, <laughs> want, everybody has cool ideas and everybody yeah. wants to uh, make yeah. it big. Yeah. But they sometimes don't necessarily realize yeah. how much of a sacrifice that really has to go into it in order to make it happen. Yeah. 80 plus hours or the Elon Musk's 100 plus hours yeah. is sometimes what it requires to make those brands. Am I right in saying that? So I think, I think it's a very personal thing, right? And uh, one thing I can tell you is that people, no matter how much we say how hard it is and how much of a time and a commitment that is required, I don't think that really truly captures actually how difficult it is and how hard it is to make it work. And I think I mean, that's also the reason why there are only very few people who are successful and who, are, who can do it. Uh, the level of, I mean, you spoke about balance. I don't believe in balance. I mean, how can there be balance on a Saturday? I'm like, at <laughs> three o'clock, I'm having this discussion with You'll you. And I, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm out till nine o'clock, right? What, where's the balance we're talking about? I think we need, to, we need to be realistic. We need to communicate actively with the, our people, our family and loved ones. And there will be relationships that will suffer. Don't get me wrong, there will be. And I have had relationships, my friendships suffer as a result of my inability to allocate time. I have missed weddings. I have not gone to funerals. I have there. These things happen. And I think you have to be truthful about it. And I think if you, but if you, you have to always be asking yourself, what is that bigger thing that you're chasing? And you have to be able to make those sacrifices. And hopefully you can, whenever you're older, whenever you're ready, you can hopefully pick it up from where it is, or maybe you lose it forever. You can't help it, right? That is the way it is. But I don't think there's a balance. I think you just have to make choices. You have to make constantly make right or wrong decisions and constantly believe in it and not look back and live with the whatever comes along with it. But as I said, people don't really understand, I think, how hard this is. And when you, when you start doing something, when you start building a business, um, there are a lot of people who would say, oh, great idea, we'll support you. But when you actually start it and when you call, they're not there to support you. Right. People who said who will do something for you will not do something for you. I mean, I started my business. I'll be honest. Right. I mean, when I started my business, I was just out of being head of Google. And when I was at Google, there were people lining up. There were people who were opening doors for me. Moment I went out, all of that disappeared. There weren't anyone who was really there to support. And I think it is also wrong of me to expect that people will only support you if you have value that they can extract out of. So your role is constantly about how can I be someone that 
people can extract value around I mean, the reason why you are interviewing me is because I believe you think that there's a value that you can extract out of me from this interview. So I think we have to always ask ourselves, how do I upgrade ourselves? How do I constantly evolve ourselves to create that value that people need so that people will always come to you and that becomes a vehicle for you to drive your business as well. And business itself has to create value. So I think I don't believe in the balance. I think you make choices, things will suffer, sacrifices have to be made, blood, sweat and tears. So just to further elaborate on it, yeah. like you said, today is yeah. a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And right after this, you're going for a business meeting. And yeah. then from there onwards, you're going to lecture yeah. uh, lecture to a group of students on digital marketing. Yes. Now, you are a, not only are you running a business, yeah. but you're consulting and yeah. you're working I'm working full time. Full time yeah. as well on top yeah. of it. And lecturing. And you're lecturing now. How yeah. do you, and you talk about there being yeah. no balance, but yeah. then what, what drives you? Like what makes you get up in the morning and keep oh. doing it day in and day out? So I think, I think, for me, I think I have a deep sense of gratitude for the life I have. Um, I was, as I say, I think obviously a different recording for this about my life, the kind of challenges I had. I think, uh, you know, all of that. And I think when you grow up with that kind of situation, what you're doing is that every day you think is you're just so grateful for the opportunity you have. And as I mentioned to you, I think before the chat, as before this interview as well, I want to make sure that I have got the maximum out of every living moment I have. For me, just that it's like that lime, you squeeze that every little little bit of ounce out of it. I want to make sure you, I squeeze everything out of this and push myself to the point that I have, I can say that, you know, I have gave it all, there's nothing left, right? For me, my success, my definition of success is that, have I done everything I potentially can to achieve what I want to achieve, whether it became a success or not, is a very secondary matter. Have I done everything? Have I reinvented? Have I innovated? Have I invested on myself and uh, done that for it as well? And of course, I'm not denying the fact that we have to maintain relation. There are family, children, all that is also there, right? But that is what I think is uh, what I'm. Uh, this thing. I think. People today have a sense of entitlement. People, a lot of people I met have a sense of, you know, that um, that uh, they they have earned it. Um, I think for me, I don't really believe that. I don't think I have earned anything. I'm very grateful for everyone. I'm grateful that you guys invited me. I really didn't believe that you will, and I don't know why, but I'm glad you did. You know, so I think that sense of gratitude really helps you to kind of wake up in the morning and really do the best you can for, for, for the people you matter and the things you love and passionate about. All right, Rohan, let's uh, speak a bit about your personal yeah. life. And, yeah. uh, did you always know from, from younger days that you wanted to become an entrepreneur or like where did this whole, uh, you know, idea come from to pursue entrepreneurship? I think, I think you know, I, I'm a firm believer that desperation drives innovation and desperation drives for you to do things that you didn't really believe you can. I mean, as I said, for me, I came from a pretty below average family. Money is not a... Money was a luxury, you know, we could, we, I never really had. And uh, for me, uh, at 18, I left home and I decided that I will somehow provide for my family and all that type of thing. So at 18, when I left, uh, only thing I waited until my A-level was over. And the moment I got out, I realized that I need to do something to make money, right? Uh, I mean, I don't think you guys, you guys are going to laugh at me. I, I, I've assembled computers. I have uh, burned audio CDs and sold it to girls in the university. 
I have uh, walked I'm in sure the. I'll react to that. <laughs> 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 Nothing happened, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> right? And then uh, um, I worked in Peta for pure beverages on an audit for the fridge. I have walked in every street, every road in Peta and Slave Island and Kotahin. Um, so, you know, you do whatever you got to do to make money at that time, right? And I think for me, I think the the, 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 the idea of sales came from that because I think people often don't understand sales is an integrated part of your personality, immaterial of what you do. It's not just about the when you're representing the company and you have to get your customers to buy your product or service. Sales is has a element of negotiation when you are like at a, like, you know, in, in normal circumstances, when you're trying to buy something for yourself, also, there's a small element of where you're trying to sell yourself as well. So I think these things kind of got inherited as a result. And I think the fact that I actually wanted to do something that makes me money as a side hustle, as you write, would, uh, I think the words would use, was what the initiation of it. And I think when I started working, and I think the experience I told you about having to let go of people gave me the level of insecurity about you know working for someone else and to this date i carry that to be very honest with you and i said like you know you know um, you know i'm not i'm i how can i feel secure uh, about having to work for someone for so many years because things can change overnight right and i think those are the kind of parameters for me that drove the idea listen at that time there was no word called entrepreneurship right it was about you're doing something on your own. Entrepreneurship words and these fancy labels came much later. At that time, I think it was the only the buggers who are losers who started their own companies type of thing. For me, it was about you know trying to do something on my own that has my own, I can put my own personality flavor and belief in it and also build something great with all the things I have learned about even how we treat people and how we want to roll out uh, different capabilities and skills and you know different things just that something on my own uh, I think uh, that was the initial part of it and I think when I joined Google and all that that kind of got more reinforced and entrepreneurship word came along and I think it was that natural progression for me uh, it was never that I said that I want to be an entrepreneur. I, I don't think I really understood that even probably. It's just that wanting to have that freedom and independence and build something. I think the word today, and I think the word to be very honest is legacy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we'll, you know, for me, it's about that this guy did this. Uh, for me, I'm really, really obsessed with that. I want people to say, wow, that guy did that. I think that will be a really, really nice way to kind of have a life, right? I heard you're a big fan of Gary Vee. Like, do you think yeah. Gary Vee was the one who made this thing? No, Gary was... Like a very cool thing, you know, all of a sudden this video started coming out where he came in. <laughs> yeah. 24-7. Yeah, yeah. I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I think I really love a love lot of aspects of Gary Vee. I mean, I think I could relate to his uh, personality and his belief systems and all that. I mean, for me, for him, you know, some of the things about the hustle, working hard and the balance about, you know, more than the balance about, like, you know how his family and all of that and you know treating people and other lot of things resonates with me uh, with me and my belief system as well i think it's a lot easier for a lot of people to say that i follow him because he's the biggest and obviously a global superstar all of that type of thing but i think it wasn't that it's just that i kind of i'm a b i became a big fan of him because my belief system about how things should be and when i start hearing him on youtube and all that it kind of connected 
right? And uh, but today you can say that I'm a fan of him, but it's just that which the value system got aligned, and you, that's how you become a fan of someone, right? You believe in the same thing as another person does. And I think uh, I think today I have kind of moved on. I mean, I have moved out. Of, not that I'm not a fan of him still. I'm still a big fan, but I've kind of found other people who are much more inspiring and who are much more relatable to this kind of phase of my career now. And I'm kind of pursuing and following them as well. And uh, of course, uh, you know, I'm still a big fan and I think he's, he's good. But you have to understand, you know, he's in US, right? They will charge a retainer of what? 400,000. If he speaks at an engagement, it will be a million dollar, right? Uh, we get we have to speak at events for free. Right? It's just very different dynamics. It doesn't uh, add up, but uh, it's nice to see people like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, on that note, do you think anyone can become an entrepreneur or do you think there are specific traits that are needed to yeah. become an entrepreneur? What are some of those traits yeah. that are needed? I don't think anybody, everybody should be an entrepreneur at any cost. I think uh, there will be um, like I, I, I mean, in my current capacity, I have I have worked with multiple individuals uh, who are junior to me, uh, significantly junior to me, and I know that multiple people in that uh, te on those teams should never be an entrepreneur. It, I think you have to have this 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 hunger, this this consistent or even infinite capacity to take shit day in and day out uh, to be an entrepreneur, and you have to have that uh, that capacity to be able to drive, do sales and do 100 different things at the same time and still manage and still stay insane without falling sick and you know be able to handle stress and pressure and so many different elements are there right I, I know that when i say it it sounds like they're all negative it's not all negative there are a lot of positives as well but i think there are some people who just simply would like to work for someone and get a paycheck at the end of the month and probably go home and spend time and make kids and live happily and travel during the weekend buy the new iphone and you know whatever i mean i think we have to be real about and real and i always say it's about being very sincere and honest about what is it that you really want out of your life right and if you feel that there's nothing i i still think someone who is probably second or third in in a big company can will make more money than i ever will in my own company and there's nothing wrong with that and they will make and they will travel and they will see all the world and all that and when will i ever get that oh if i ever will get that it remains to be about how much i will be successful in my own company or whatever so these are things that i think is something people need to make a make a make a judgment or this thing on and i think we're trying to force down entrepreneurship and everyone is a mistake i think people have to ask yourself what is it that you really are comfortable what is it that you really want out of your life and uh, there are a lot of people who want to study and go abroad and migrate and make enough money and live happily. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You should do that. But that's just not enough for me. Well, Rohan, uh, today we have uh, this thing where there are, there's a side hustle culture. And there yeah. are employees working for yeah. organizations yeah. who have their own thing going yeah. on as well. Yeah. So there are two sides to that coin. One yeah. from an organization point of view and from the employee who's side yeah. hustling point of view. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about like some advice for both the organization as well as the side hustling employees on how they could go about this uh, so I I, I, th I don't think I need to look at it from both sides. I'll just give a very simple short answer for it. I think you have to be very clear as to what you're expecting from the, as a company, you have to be very clear what you're expecting from the employee. Employee has to be very clear what you are expected to deliver to the company. As long as there's no confusion and the person is delivering those 
KPIs or objectives or whatever it is on time and in a timely manner and a meaningful way with a production level or quality of what is delivered. I think the rest of it is up to the individual. The reason why people are doing side hustles are number one, most of the organization salary scales are not sufficient enough to maintain a lifestyle that they want to maintain probably for additional money for their education and stuff like that or just for the passion or the fun because their 8 to 5 job doesn't give them the kind of passion and today I think most of the organizations today have accepted this as a norm and that people will do something else on the side and you can't really restrict that and I don't think you should restrict that but what you need to do is I mean today we are living especially in IT industry we live in a world where you are just accountable for the deliverable and the outcome not for the process or how you do things right and I think as long as you are very clear to your employees and employees are clear about what is expected I don't think there should be any confusion about it I'm fully supportive of it whether it's a side hustle or whether we call it a gig economy or whatever it's up to the people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, now, Rohan, like you said, you're yeah. a couple of years older than me, and yeah. just listening to you is. Couple, like, you have been nice to me. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> my point is, yeah. there is that gap of knowledge and the experience that you have that, yeah. that is getting absorbed by me. Yeah. In other words, that's what happens in mentorship as well. Yeah. There, you know, yeah. you get to bridge yeah. that knowledge gap, which otherwise you only yeah. can get by experience. Yeah. Um, so, what what are your views on. Do you, do you, do you necessarily think that it's a, it's a must for up-and-coming entrepreneur to seek out mentorship and yeah where does that stand so i personally think forget entrepreneurship i think for any young person or forget any young person i think any person immaterial of the age or where you are having a couple of great mentors or a great mentor uh, is really critical um, the, the for me even at my age i there are a couple of people i look up to as mentors who I who I constantly evaluate my ideas and thought process whom I go to as first for bouncing off things because the life is so complicated and so congested today it's sometimes really hard to see clearly as an individual sometimes you need someone else's point of view to have a like a checks and balances to have a at least get a sense of am I thinking this clearly or whatever it is I think having that is really important I think young people don't reach out enough as I said there are enough people in the country who wants to help I think it's important that you reach out because if you ask me like you are because you asked me I am here I am not gonna call you guys and say hey do you guys have an interview can I come and do an interview for you right okay. it's up to you to come and ask me can you allocate some time and come and share what you you know so I think like that by, by the way just in case I mean not to put myself up just before I came here, I spent two hours with a kid who is 25 years old. I wouldn't say mentoring, but he just wanted to bounce off some things and talk about. And we spoke about mental health. We talk about, you know, job and career, professional growth and things like that for the last two hours. And he dropped me off here and now I'm here. So essentially, if you ask me for that time, we can make that time. And there are enough people like me who will do that for you. But the key thing is that you have to figure out who should be your mentor, right? Picking the right person is yeah. also very critical as well as finding the time. So the, the, the other part I think I always say this is that the first 10 years of anybody's career, immaterial of whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you work for a company, it is the person whom you work with, the reporting to, whom you look up to, that will define your success more than the company, the brand or whatever you work for. I Sometimes when I see a lot of young people who join these big multinational brands and all that, I think what a freaking waste. Yeah. 
because the reason is that those companies you are just a statistic you are just another small element of a supply chain you just push do this from that whether you you they don't need probably even as a smart talented person like you in that because the reason is you could be so much more under the right guidance and a, maybe a place where you have a bigger scope to where you can deliver so i think it's really important having a great boss who really allows you to like a blossom and get you to that next level and uh, having that mentor is a ma- I, i i think it's mandatory they say that uh, people don't leave uh, companies they leave bosses, bosses. 300% <laughs> 100% bro because uh, every time i have left companies it had been for the bosses yeah, yeah. so rohan thank you so much for your time Absolute final pleasure. note for all the aspiring yeah. entrepreneurs out yeah. there even yeah. corporate sector employees yeah. side hustlers and everything yeah. everyone maybe even business students yeah. um, what is your final what would you like to leave them as a final message in terms of general advice uh, i think i think to conquer life i i i <laughs> if i if i had yeah, that answer bro i would be sharing with you <laughs> no i i think i think i think for me what i'm saying is that don't don't uh, ever take anything for granted be very grateful life is super short um, and i think you know things can change so fast so rapidly just make sure you wake up every day and for me i'll tell you what i do and maybe that is what i think i would leave the message is that just to ask yourself is that have you been the best version of yourself today like for me when i come here i want to make sure that when i leave here you guys say wow that guy really created value for me right for me that is the best version of myself to you so for me it's really important that you wake up and everything you touch everything you do have i been the best version of myself or can i be that tomorrow can i be the better version of that so i think for me that's a very very important guiding principle whether you write something whether you read something whether you create something have i been the best version of myself and can i be better than that right so i think that if you can have that and if you do that in material of what you choose i think you will have an amazing kind of opportunity in front of you yeah well, thank you rohan uh, from the moment you walked in through this room you yeah. just brought in that energy <laughs> bolt of energy thank you so much for pleasure man pleasure wisdom with all of us absolutely um, i had a americano just before i yes, came in so that, that i'm pumped up ready to go <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah just to Recap: Rohan is yeah. co-founder of Entire Solutions, which yeah. is, like I said, an award-winning agency. Yeah. Uh, and apart from that, he's doing an incredible job, not only conquering the world of business, but also <laughs> inspiring young entrepreneurs and uh, you know youngsters in general in, in yeah. achieving success. Uh, this, ladies and gentlemen, is um, the Entrepreneur Vibe podcast, and uh, this was the eighth episode. And at episode number nine, we'll be catching up with Hipshi, who is one of the hottest musicians from Sri Lanka. <laughs> I'll catch you again next time. Until then, stay subscribed to the Entrepreneur Vibe YouTube channel.